Hello, and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our countries as we head into yet again another election cycle. And speaking of election cycles, Norm, we we have uh, we have a couple of topics I know that you and I wanted to cover today. And but for our listeners, we're getting gearing up for. Um, a longer set of podcasts. Norm and I have been traveling and kind of ships in passing. So we apologize in advance. We're going to have kind of a combination members and public abbreviated episode just for just for this week. And hopefully we'll be able to get our schedules in sync. But we teed up. There were so many things that happened uh, this this past 10 days, I'll say, Norm, that it's hard to to kind of highlight several. But we wanted to cover, I had thought going into the week that we would be talking about the Republican debate somewhat, but leave it to Senate Republicans talking about foreign policy issues and the unfortunate tr- Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton just seems to always deliver. And I think they're very relevant, both issues incredibly relevant for not just the election cycle, but for the democracy as we'll dive into. But Norm, how have you been? I know you've been traveling. How 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 have you been watching the last uh, several days unfold? And, and do you agree that Texas is a big deal for a lot of reasons and that uh, what's what maybe the public is not aware about what's happening in the Senate with Ukraine is also a big deal? So let's start with Texas. I don't uh, think there is a more vile uh, human being, soulless, heartless, disgraceful than Ken Paxton, the attorney general in Texas who was impeached by the Republican House, and then because of millions of dollars uh, going to uh, the Senate from uh, people who wanted to keep him, and because Donald Trump endorsed him, he was not removed from office despite the fact that his staff, people who had worked with him, uh, basically said he was corrupt and a liar. He's been under criminal indictment uh, on uh, investment fraud issues in Texas for years, but has avoided a trial until now. But this is taking it to a completely different level. We have a woman who is in enormous distress with uh, a, a fetus that will not survive. If she has to carry this fetus to term, not only will the uh, fetus, if it comes out alive, go through horrible pain until it dies very soon thereafter. And you as a physician can discuss this a lot better than I can. But she will risk uh, the ability to have other children, which she desperately wants. And a judge tearfully said, you should get an abortion despite the Texas law. Ken Paxton basically issued a statement saying that he doesn't care what the judge said that he will hold anybody involved with this criminally responsible if they do an abortion. This is what they call pro-life. You would be hard to find an example of pro-death more clear-cut than this one. And it's a harbinger, I think, of things to come, not just in Texas, but in other states that have veered off into uh, Handmaid's Tale uh, multiplied territory. So I, I have so much to say about this since uh, I'm from Texas. I happen to know, I don't know the OB in question for whom all of Ken Paxton's hate was geared towards, um, Domla Carson. I don't know her, but I know several of her colleagues that work in those hospitals. And 
And I think for the listeners, three things that I think are worth pointing out. Number one, a lot of people have asked me separately, like, why did this woman who, you know, purportedly, quote unquote, wants a baby, um, wait until 20 weeks to find out about this fatal diagnosis? And, and there is a very growing contingency, Norm, disgustingly, of people who are saying that she's like planted by Democrats to try to like make a case, you know, like the Center for Reproductive Rights had nothing better to do. So they found some woman that they would get pregnant with something fatal and then try to like see if they could use it as a court case. But I will just say, so number one, her, her care has been absolute standard of care for a 31 year old woman, someone who does not have other risk factors. She's had two previously healthy children, um, had C-sections for those children, which plays into why this birth could put her future fertility at risk. And she had what's done at 20 weeks, which is known as an anatomy scan. It's where you look for anomalies that you can only see by 20 weeks, because that's when you can check an ultrasound and be able to see for some of those. And it, it's, it's sad that we had to wait till 20 weeks, but that's what a lot of things do. Now they can do blood tests earlier. Those blood tests don't get paid for by insurance unless you're high risk. A 31-year-old is not deemed high risk, and she herself did not have any high risk conditions. So that's one. Two, they had to use a total restraining order. And a lot of people have wondered, well, why would they do that? They had to resort to that because any woman who has already tried to get an exception medically for Texas abortion law is stuck in a trap where they're waiting for their cases to be deliberated before the state Supreme Court, because district judges' rulings, which have allowed for these exceptions, have been appealed by your favorite, my favorite attorney general to hate, Ken Paxton. Three, what Ken, what Paxton has done coming after not just that physician, but all three of the hospitals for which that physician has privileges, saying exactly as you said that that the court does not have that the court's law is not what should be enforced. It's these hospitals who have the ability and obligation to enforce the abortion law. And then he even intimated, as you saw in his letter to the hospitals. He even intimated that nothing about what the TRO did precludes civil suits, basically paving an open invitation for any Tom, Dick and Harry in the state of Texas to file a civil suit against this doctor, which I'm 100 percent sure there are people doing it right now. Right. So so there are three and the, layers and, the and anybody else. And it, right. I should say that's right. You're right. 100 percent right. It's it's that SB8, which was passed, which allows for these civil suits to come forward, can be against the Uber driver that might have taken someone to like from point A to point B in that process. And so I think that there is, I think for listeners, no matter where you fall on any spectrum of, you know, if you, if you believe that, you know, all women have the right to like their own healthcare all the way to people who I, I hope are listening, who fundamentally disagree with certain aspects of abortion. I've had a lot of conversations with people who disagree with kind of what we'd call late-term abortions, partial birth abortions, as you and I, Norm, have been a contentious topic always. I don't think anybody would disagree that like a woman who desperately wants to have a baby has her, her life and the baby's life is very clearly non-viable, not only during birth, but after birth, high likelihood of stillbirth, 50% of these babies are born, stillborn, and then 50%, 95 to 97% never live to the age of one year. And that even if you were in that 1% that could make it past a year, you are 
destined for a lifetime of anomalies, developmental, not just delay, but developmental regression, and not just special needs. We can handle special needs, but you are completely incapacitated. So I have never seen a situation where there was something so crystal clear in healthcare. And I've debated, Norm, I don't know how you feel about it. People have asked me, and I'm very technical, like abortion is not meant to be a, a loaded term. It is technically a medical word we use to describe the procedure to just empty the contents of a uterus, devoid of what that is. The uterus contents, could, by the way, it could be a tumor, could be could be just abnormal cells, it could be any of the above. But so I have been, I'm curious your opinion on, people have said, is this even really an abortion? It's really just basic health care. And I've said, I don't want to escape the word abortion because it is an abortion. It's technically what we would do in the procedure. So why do we have to, why do I have to avoid calling it tech? If I, if someone has cancer, I don't avoid using the word cancer because I don't like that term. So I'm just curious, Norm, kind of some of the feedback or comments you've seen or heard and, and, you know, what, what should we take away from this? People have said yesterday's court ruling was a win. I said, I mean, sure, I guess for this poor woman going through this grief and this process, but no, I think it's still, I said, the way Ken Paxton came coming out charging, I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's even more of a loss because he made it clear that there are no medical exceptions, that there is no allowance for actual health care. But Norm, your thoughts? Well, first, I think we should use the term abortion because if abortion is defined as people who, uh, women who just say, you know what, I don't want this kid, I'm going to get rid of it. Uh, instead of having it include the full gamut of cases, including ectopic pregnancies, including anomalies like this, including people who are going through horrible miscarriages uh, and will bleed to death if nothing is done, all of those should be called abortion so that people realize that those who are against abortion are also against life uh, in fundamental ways. So that's one part of this. Uh, the second part of this is I saw somebody tweeted, it's time for Biden to get on Air Force One, go down to Texas and take this woman to a state where she can actually get. Uh, I did see that. The, the yeah. Care that yeah. 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 Uh, I saw that. It's a fantasy, but. You know, it's, it's not, not too far, not too uh, far off the people have said that. And I right. said and I and I a lot of people have said, well, wouldn't it have just been easier to get her in a car and take her to New Mexico? Right. Like, like, wouldn't it have just been easier to fill in the blank? And I said, look, I give her a lot of credit. She 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 and her husband, you can see it on the Zoom. You know, there's because all of this played out on the Zoom, the court's ruling. So there is actually like screenshots that show her like reaction, like. I, I, I give her a lot of credit. Like, I, you know, she's 31. I'm sure she didn't want this attention for this reason, but she knew, and I think she knew that this reflected something bigger than her and she didn't want to avoid it and go. And, and by the way, Norm, you and I don't know how many women do do that, right? They get, they go out of the state. We, they, they will never count in the numbers because they don't want to be counted, so many of those women and then women who have complications, who knows women who, you know, women who die, all of, all of the things that like we, you and I know to be true. So yeah, sure. Joe Biden could come in on air force one, except I actually think that this woman standing her ground and trying to fight 
is incredibly brave. I, I, I worry that she's still not going to get a procedure because look what happened, right? Ken Paxton within hours made it clear that any hospital that does this kind of work and allows for this doctor to do her work is going to have hell to pay. And you better believe like Texas justice is non-trivial. Yeah. So I, I would have a couple of reactions. The first is I'm sure there are lots of women who've done that, but just as if we go back to the pre-Roe era of back alley abortions, the women who suffer the most are the poor ones who can't afford to go out of state, who may not even have cars, but certainly couldn't go to another place and necessarily pay for a procedure. So there are women who have the means to do it. But the second part of this is when Texas first enacted this law, which was a bounty hunting law, which enabled, as you said, any Tom, Dick, or Harry, any person in the state to flag somebody getting an abortion and be able to get a $10,000 or more bounty for doing so. The Supreme Court, when Roe was still in effect, allowed this to go forward. So it tells you something even more about the vileness of the Supreme Court right now as well and about the horror of this law, which is, uh, you know, conservatives do not believe in a heavy hand of government. It is hard to imagine more of a police state. You know, I, I visited Cuba back in the early 1970s, and in Cuba they had neighborhood citizens' watches where they encouraged neighbors to tattle on anybody in the neighborhood who might be doing something that challenged the Castro regime. And we talked about that as the heavy hand of a communist police state. This is no different uh, than, uh, than that. And that this is happening in America tells you way too much about the state of the country and the fact that people like Ken Paxton can get away with it and that Texas continues to elect horrific people like the monstrous governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. It's really a sad reflection on humanity. It really is. It's, it, it is. And I, I hope that people who might be hearing about this case, and certainly it was on the news a lot yesterday, I encourage you to read Kate Cox, the patient, um, the, the mother and the patient kind of that we're discussing herself wrote a very lovely op-ed in the Dallas Morning News that I would say listeners should try to kind of find time to read. It's pretty brief, but she basically kind of puts out her argument of like why she did take this public and why she feels like she needs to fight this fight. And I would just say that this is, you know, stay tuned because I've been tracking the state Supreme Court cases to listen to these cases, 20 cases of medical exceptions, Norm, which, you know, in my mind, medically, I'm thinking these women were asking for medical exceptions for a reason. It's not like they had the luxury of sitting around with time. So what's happening to them? So we'll, we'll keep listeners posted. Maybe, uh, so we'll keep, obviously, not just on Texas, but unfortunately, too many states around the country where this is going to become commonplace. And, and we, will, we will certainly talk about this as much as we can. And, and I want to see if we can shift you brought to my attention an important development in Senate Republicans in Ukraine. Um, say a little more and talk about, especially as we get to the end of the year, a lot of listeners have been kind of on Twitter and questioning like, so what happens if we don't pass an aid package? And 
you know, Tommy Tuber, you know, we actually did get some progress from our favorite senator who's been blocking every judicial nomination and every, um, uh, every appointment. But where are we, Norm? Tell us a little more. So uh, what we know is that uh, the uh, aid that the United States has been giving to Ukraine is uh, running out, that Ukraine at this point is short of ammunition and of uh, the weaponry that it needs to continue to fend off uh, the Russian invasion, that the president put forward an aid package for both Ukraine and Israel together, and Senate Republicans decided to block it without getting a, uh, a bill to deal with the border, but uh, which is perfectly all right in normal uh, parlance. You want something for something. But what they did was basically to say, here is our border requirement, which included, among many other things, a uh, provision that would enable a president to completely waive the asylum requirements, tailor-made for a Donald Trump return to the presidency doing draconian things. And Democrats said, look, we'll negotiate with you, but that's just not going to work. And Republicans said, you either take the whole thing or... If you won't, we will not allow an aid package to go forward. The result of that, and that includes all the Republicans, including people who have been uh, eloquent in their defense of Ukraine and, uh, and uh, uh, disdain for what Russia has done, like Mitt Romney. And Russia has responded to this with exaltation. They have held parades. They have said, at last, we're going to be able to win. And now they have resumed uh, basically carpet bombing of uh, Ukrainian cities like Kyiv with missiles. And it's, it's disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. Now, will we get, a, in the end, a negotiation? Very possibly, yes. Today is the 8th of December. But if the Senate agrees, and it takes another couple of days to make it happen, and they're not likely to do it over a weekend because they don't work much over the weekend, we have to keep in mind that Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, who said that God came to him and said he's the next Moses, um, showing uh, openly what a religious fanatic he is, has also said that no matter what, he is closing down the House as of December 15th and has also not indicated that he is willing to put an aid package for Ukraine forward. He's still under enormous pressure from the crazy or lunatic right of his own House party, which is a majority of the House Republicans. And this is an absolute disaster. I want to mention one other thing about this, uh, Kavita, which is Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, held a private briefing for senators uh, about the situation in Ukraine. And by all reports said, look, if Russia prevails, they're not stopping there. NATO is next. Poland, uh, Kazakhstan, other countries that are either a part of NATO or are bordering Russia. And if they go into NATO, then it's your children who are going to be called up to fight because that's what NATO does. Tucker Carlson then took that and said, Lloyd Austin said that if you don't do the aid package, we're going to send your kids to Ukraine. 
which was a complete distortion, of course, of what Austin had said. And Elon Musk then tweeted, is that right? And Carlson said, yes, it's verified. So you look at this toxic stew of what uh, Elon Musk has done to Twitter, putting out even more misinformation and disinformation, relying on his BFF, Tucker Carlson. And then you look at what the Senate Republicans and House Republicans are up to. And it is just so dismaying. If Ukraine falls, Taiwan is likely next. And we are in a global mess of our own making, thanks to the Republican Party in the United States. Yeah, it's and it. I have. Uh, wow. I, I have to confess, I have always been. Um, blissfully concentrating on kind of domestic policy. And it just, it's my comfort zone. It's, I think a lot more people can relate to things we understand. So I understand healthcare in the United States. I understand you're laying out, like, I think just an incredible, I want to say what you're laying out is a illogical sequence that has been conducted, but it it is where we're at now. And it puts all the more pressure when we started this podcast, Norm, we were trying to kind of hold people and their words responsible because we know how much the elections matter. We've, it feels like we're just keep, I keep, we keep beating this drum and keep saying the same thing over and over, but wow, Norm, I can't think of a more important time to get out the vote somehow. And look, we're dwindling to, to talk about the house for a second and what you just described with kind of the phenomenon, like unfolding Senate and house and Mike Johnson, but they're going to be down between George Santos, you you know, our best friend and our other best friend, Kevin McCarthy, you know, they're down and have one vote as kind of their majority. There is a moment. I mean, it is possible that we could flip and Senate's going to be a series of hard races, but am I wrong, Norm? I mean, I had a little glimmer that like everything you just laid out there could be a different future if the election goes a different way in a year. Is that, is that, what do you think? No, that that's absolutely the case. And if um, I'm, you know, more frightened than I have been, and I've been plenty frightened. Yeah, as I know I you have. How this, is, <laughs> how this is unfolding. Um, because I think you have an awful lot of people who are either blissfully unaware of what the consequences would be, or are still willing to roll the dice. And when I saw what happened uh, in this last month in Argentina and in particular in the Netherlands, uh-huh. where um, voters basically said, we just had enough of the status quo and elected radicals. And in the Netherlands, somebody well known for his utterly racist and nativist views, um, believing that shaking it up is worth it and without uh considering what the consequences might be you realize it can happen here and you realize now with what we're seeing in texas that if the republicans somehow manage to sweep the table if they take keep the house take the senate which is more likely than not and uh have a trump presidency they are going to impose on the blue states the same kind of dystopian policies that we have seen in the red states. Yeah. And we could be in for a nightmare beyond uh, our wildest nightmares. Um, now, I, I, one other thing I would say here, Kavita, right before we go, um, you know, the Republican margin in the House is thin. 
they'd still have to get below 213 or 214, depending on what happens in February in the uh, Santos uh, special election, for Democrats even briefly to have a majority. Let's say that a half dozen Republicans come down with serious cases of COVID. And after all, most of them at least say they're not vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, or some other uh, illness or can't get to Washington. Even if for a day or two, Democrats have a majority, I've urged them to have a plan available and to play hardball. Do an immediate motion to vacate mm. that thing that brought Kevin McCarthy down. Any one individual can do it. Yeah. Vote out Mark Johnson, vote in Hakeem Jeffries, and have a package ready, I a reconciliation it. package. I love it. Only takes a majority in the House to uh, do a bunch of things that would be really good. Like, for example, a tax on the rich to pay for making permanent the child tax credit. Uh, you know, I don't think they are uh, ready to do that, but they should be. Uh, but we got to start playing hardball against people who are uh, ready to bring the entire uh, country down. I think so. This is the inspiration I was looking for, Norm. I, I love that idea of actually calling for the vote and then putting Hakeem in. And, and you know, all we need is like one or two. And you got to think that like you can wear down one or two people to kind of say like, all right, fine, let's just let's just flip this coin and try it. And it's probably worth it. Like at some point, something has to give. I think that's brilliant. And I think outlining all of those issues and then forcing those votes. You and I have been here before when we forced a voice vote and we've hoped that it rattles like Americans to their core to think like, wait a minute, wait, who Republicans are voting against uh, like child tax credit? You know, what what's happening here? Like the com the party that said they're all for like giving people back their money. Oh, except when it's like poor children or children, you know, of a certain income. Like, I think that's brilliant. I, I love, there's so many things I can think of and maybe that's what, uh, I have a feeling this could be our, um, our Christmas gift and our Hanukkah gift and our uh, insert kind of like celebration that you might have in the months of December and January, but we can give a gift to listeners to try to come up with what would we do if we were putting that package together? Well, I hate to, I hate to put an end. We, we normally take these conversations a little larger. I mentioned to listeners, we're on a slightly contracted schedule for myself and Norm having ships passing with trips. And so we will extend ourselves to make sure that we do not minimize any of the coverage and also have a lot more to say uh, for anybody who's in the DC area. I know the deep state uh, our deep state network colleagues are going to be kind of on a bit of a in-person roadshow, if I understand correctly. So folks who are in the DC space uh, become members and get on our member list and see if you can join at least David Rothkopf. I know that Norm and I were going to try to show up, but we'll try to make sure that we can be in person whenever possible with our with our colleagues. But we look forward to Thank you to our executive producer, Chris Cottmore, and our incredible pod producer, Riley Fessler. And we look forward to having our next pod in and around December 14th. And we'll have an extended series of conversations, including our members-only conversation. Talk to you all soon. Take care. <laughs>